Good morning and welcome to Oikos. We're glad that you're here. I know that many of you had some challenges probably even getting here. Whether it was waking up in the morning or it was trying to decide, boy, this is such a nice day after all the rain we had. I could go do this or I could go do that or I could go do this. But instead you chose to come here. And when two or three are gathered, who's here? Jesus, we just sang about his name, we sang about who he is, and there's no one like him. And he's here right now. Sometimes we forget that, but sometimes this, maybe we even say monotonous action of on Sunday morning you come to church. But you don't just come to church, you come to see Jesus. And he is here. Last week we talked about Gideon, who was called by God to save his oppressed people. He was scared, yet God said, I'm going to use you to save your people. God saw more in Gideon than Gideon could see in himself. And that's where many of us are this morning. And with all of this, we learned about Gideon and how he approached God we still didn't find out what he actually did. All we knew is that he was called by God to go save his oppressed people. And so this week we get to hear about what Gideon actually did. He didn't just hear the word of the Lord and say yes, putting the why in risky. But this week we're going to find out that he actually did it. So let's take a listen to the story. Gideon gathered a troop of 32,000 men. He took them and camped south of the Midianites. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men with you. If I give the Midianites to you now, Israel will say, We won this victory by our own power. Tell them, If you're afraid, go home. Gideon said this to the people, and 22,000 people left, leaving 10,000 men. The Lord said, I'll give you victory over the Midianites using this 300 men. Send the rest of them home. So Gideon sent them home. Those who were left made camp above where the Midianites were in the valley. The people of Midian were like a swarm of locusts and their camels were like the sand by the sea. The night the Lord said to Gideon, sneak into the Midianite camp. If you're afraid, take your servant with you. Listen to what the soldiers say. So Gideon took his servant and went into the Midianite camp. Gideon returned to Israel's camp and said, Get up, for the Lord has given the Midianites to you. He divided the 300 men into three companies of 100. He gave each man a trumpet and a jar with a torch inside it. He said, Watch me and follow my lead. When we're at the edge of the camp, our group will blow our trumpets. You are to do the same. Everyone shout, The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Gideon then sent for the rest of the men of Israel. Together they ran after the Midianites as they tried to leave Israel. God gave a great victory that day over Midian, and they were no longer a threat to Israel. After the battle, the people wanted to make Gideon their king, but he refused. He simply went back to live at his house. Then Israel was at peace for 40 years. So it's a great story, right? I mean, I love these stories of war and victory, right? The little guy beating the big guy, the one that 
isn't supposed to win actually comes out and wins the victory of the day. It's when you say yes to risk, by simply saying yes, the impossible can become possible. When you say yes to the Lord, even when it's risky, the impossible can become possible. I can kind of jump into this story with Gideon and imagine the moment that he said, Okay, Lord, you're right. I will lead your people and we will go fight this horde of marauders. They have destroyed us. They have desolated us. They have defeated us. But I will lead your people. And so he runs back up that mountain. Remember, all the people are up in the strongholds and in the caves. They're scared, frightened that this was going to happen again. He runs back up there. He goes, hey, guess what? I heard from the Lord. We're going to gather an army and we're going to go defeat those guys who have defeated us and destroyed us and desolated us. But we're going to defeat them. And kind of amazingly, Scripture tells us 32,000 take up arms. They get excited. I mean, these are defeated people, but they go, okay, all right, Gideon, we didn't believe in the Lord until just recently when we were completely in despair. We cried out to him. So maybe we will believe now that he will rescue us. As 32,000, but if you stay in the shoes of Gideon just a little bit, remember he knows the Midianites have over 135,000. So you'd be excited for like a moment, or at least I would be. I'd be excited. 32,000, look what I have done by simply saying, let's go fight the Midianites. 32,000 are ready to follow me. I am so special. And then I go, oh, but wait a minute. They still have 100,000 more troops than us. The odds are not looking as good. And so Midian begins. And then the Lord says this. This is in Judges chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. This is where we're going to be taking a lot of the verses today. Judges chapter 7. It's in the beginning of the Bible. Old Testament. The Lord said to Gideon. This is right after he's gathered his 32,000. He probably would want the Lord to say, way to go, bud. Good job. Man, look what you've done, Gideon. But the Lord says this. You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So, 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Gideon says yes which is the first risk in the story, says that he's going to fight. 32,000 are gathered. 
And then in the moment that he's ready to go and fight, the Lord says, hold, wait. Now basically just tell those, if you're scared, if your heart's not all the way in this, go home. Okay, right? And then can you see Gideon standing there before them and saying, you know, if your heart's not in this, just go home. And kind of, you know, if you think of, at least in my view, I'd go, I hope not too many go because there's like 100,000 more of the other guys. So we need them. So I hope all your hearts are in this and you're not scared. And then two-thirds leave. I mean, that's defeating. If you've ever had leadership, whew, it's defeating when you've got a whole bunch of people and then you're about ready to do what you're supposed to do and two-thirds leave. It's defeating and it's disappointing. Now, not many of us actually will go out and fight wars or lead others into wars. Some of us have. Some of us have that experience. But many of us gather today, we just don't even know what that looks like. But I think we can relate in maybe this way. You hear from the Lord because you see a lot of people that are hungry and you go, you know, there's a local food kitchen or soup kitchen and I want to I help out. And I had a dream last night and I really feel like the Lord is saying, you need your whole church to help out. So you come walking in, oikos, and you're like, I know the Lord said this. And it just happens to be one of those Sundays when almost everybody shows up. So you can't find a seat. And you're like, well, what's going on? You know, that never happens. So you come in. You're like, I'm going to give an announcement. And I hope that some people say yes. And you come up here and you give your announcement. We're going to go feed the hungry. You have your sign-up sheet and you've only written 10 names, but you know you need like 100. And people are actually writing numbers in like 56, 57, then 94, then 100. Then there's no more space on the paper and people are still coming because they want to do this. And you're like... My announcement was good. It was awesome. And then as you're sitting in worship and you're like, oh, we're going to worship and then we're going to go feed the hungry because of me. The Lord says, um, you need to tell those who are only kind of half in it just to go home or just go have lunch afterwards. You're like, oh. But I, they will all stay. They'll all stay. Because we got a good thing we got to go do. And you go up and make the announcement. And you see all 66 go home. But you still have 33. And maybe 34. And you're like excited that at least you have 30, 34. But you're a little disappointed. I think that's kind of where Gideon was. Yeah, I'm glad that I've got this amount. But I thought I would have this. 
Or maybe you can look at it this way. You're led by the Spirit that you should give at a deeper level, almost a sacrificial level of giving. And you've given in the past. You've given because you had a little extra in the bank or you, um, you normally when you come, if you have just a little extra after you paid the bills, you can give. But this time it's different. The Lord kind of said he gave you a number. And at this point you had like you had 2,000 extra cash and you're like, I'm going to give 500. So you come in ready to give 500, but that weekend your car breaks, you got to take it to the shop, and now you only have 1,000 left. You come into worship and you go, hmm, do I want to give 500 right now? Or do I want to wait until I have that cushion again? Do I want to take the risk of obeying and trusting the Lord? Because he's the one who said it. No matter what the circumstances are. Do I move forward? Or do I wait? Hopefully you get the idea that as the risk equation grows, usually it's because the challenge increases. So if the challenge increases, guess what? You're going to take a bigger risk. So the person who wanted to give sacrificially when they had 2000 in the bank and giving 500 is still that's a risk. There's nothing that is a risk. If you've never given that much, you you're giving a lot away. But if the challenge increases, you've lost 1000 of that 2000 and now you've got to give half, not a fourth. The risk increases. If you thought you're going to have 100 volunteers and that's what you needed and it drops down to 30, the risk of accomplishing that task increases. This is what was happening with Gideon. Now he had 10,000 that said, we trust the Lord. 10,000. A good force. And if I was Gideon, because I love strategy, I'd be thinking, okay, so we only have 10,000. That's like a tenth, less than a tenth of the force that we're fighting. How many nerds out there, do you like the game Risk? I mean, I love Risk. I'll just tell you how much of a nerd I was. In high school, when all the other kids were out at a party, guess what I was doing? I was at home down in my basement with like three or four of my friends. We're playing risk. You, some of you are like, what's risk? <laughs> it's not truth or dare. <laughs> we played that a couple times and, you know, whatever. We won't go, that's, that's a whole nother sermon another time. We played risk this night and we were playing. And when your forces are reduced, there's a strategy that I would use. And it would often prove very beneficial. you got to get Siam. And you need 
you need to have Australia behind you. Because then all you have to do is guard one little country and it gives you options to go out and attack and make sure that the other people, they can't get a whole continent, but you get a whole continent. So if I was Gideon, I only had 10,000, I'd be thinking, okay, so how do I make this work so I win? We've got 10,000 who are ready to go. They're ready to die for this. And so I could be thinking of all these plans and strategizing. And I think, I feel like this is, this is Gideon. He's strategizing. He's trying to think it through. And then the Lord talks again. What is he doing? Here he says, verses 4 and 6. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. They do this test, and then only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank from their mouths in the stream. So the Lord tells Gideon, now you only have 300. At this point, I think there's a good statement for us to recognize. When risk increases, two responses are common. Trust or fear. Gideon had a choice, 300 against 135,000, that's impossible, that's not logical, it's just not going to work, there's no way, you're going to lose. Some of you saw the movie 300, you think they're going to win, but guess what happens at the end? They lose, all dead. That's what happens when you are outnumbered. Gideon, he had a choice, trust or fear. 10,000 had already chosen to trust, and out of that 10,000, God said, only 300 will go. I think oftentimes when the odds are against us, when the circumstances change, when the risk increases, both of those things come up. Will I trust? Or am I fearful? And when we're fearful, we often go the route of saying, I'm not doing it. How many of you have done that? Thank you for being honest. And those rest of you, thank you for being here today. I mean, come on. You know you've done it. Everyone has done this. When it increases, you go, I'm, it happened to me on a very, very low level. We drove the car a bunch and the little gaslight came on. And Sarah had said, do you want me to put gas in it? And I said, oh no, I'll do it. And that certain morning I had to can't hurry because I made my own choices. <laughs> so I didn't stop to get gas. And as I was driving, I was like, oh, oh, please. <laughs> I don't want to have to go. I mean, isn't this sad? I don't have to walk to a gas station because my car is out of gas. The risk had just increased. 
when it increases, you start to get fearful. But the Lord's voice is there to say, do not fear. The Lord says in Psalms chapter 9, verse 10, Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Oh, how easily we can forget those words. Oh, how easily we can forget that we know his name. Oh, how easily we can forget that he knows our name. Oh, how easily we can forget when the circumstances change who he is. Proverbs would say it this way in chapter 3. This is well known, beloved by many. And many times it's necessary for us to reread it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Gideon trusted, I believe, with all his heart that day. The reason why I can say this is because of his actions that followed the word of the Lord. First, the Lord spoke, and Gideon had a choice to say yes or no, but he said yes. And he didn't just say yes and then go, Oh, but I'm going to sneak a couple thousand with me. I mean, that's us, right? I'll take 300, but I'm going to have a little secondary force, just in case. No, he says yes to the Lord and obeys, follows what the Lord says, even when it seems ridiculous. He loved the Lord. And he trusted that God would give him victory that day. I believe this morning God is calling us to ask, are we half-hearted with Jesus? Oh, I know, I'm sorry. That was kind of one of those booms. Are we half-hearted with Jesus? Do we forget his name? When the circumstances, when the circumstances, when life adjusts, do we forget who he is? Do we begin to say no instead of saying yes because it's just too risky? Do we say, I don't want to do that? Or I, I think is more instead of I don't want to? Maybe you've heard this from your own heart. I can't. I'm not able to do this. And maybe what's even worse is not that you can't, but you go, God can't. Have you said that? Well, I have. I'm not supposed to because I'm a pastor, but I, sometimes I say it. I go, oh, God can't do that. And then someone will say, um, and I go, well, I, yeah, wait, here. Sure, he can. But in my heart, I'm kind of half-hearted. 
But I think he's asking us, are you half-hearted with Jesus today? With his words that he gives you? Do we believe in God? Because you know the demons do. Oh, I know, I just did it again, but that's what happens. The demons believe in God just as much as, probably more than we do. Actually, I know they do. They don't have a doubt that there's God. They know. They know that Jesus died. They don't question that. They know that it happened. They don't question that he rose again. They don't question that life equals Jesus. Because they're after death. But we struggle, don't we? There's times when we go, well, is this thing really true? And in many ways, maybe we try to make up our own way. Like we take scripture and we go, well, this part's really good. I like this part. And then you read a little bit further and you go, that part, I don't know if I like. So you just take a little exacto knife and just kind of cut it out. And then you come across another part and you go, oh, I don't like that part, or I'm not really sure, so I'm just going to cut that out too. Cut that out. Now, we don't literally do that, right? But we definitely do it in our mind. Oh, I don't need to do that part because that doesn't, I, that doesn't really apply to me. That's just for those other people. Or I need to get on that person because, you know, Scripture says this. And I know it says this about what I'm doing, but that is another day, another thing. I am on this right now. Hmm. But Jesus says, he's the word. So when you look at the word of God and you go, this part isn't important, this part is, you are half-hearted with Jesus. I know. This is, what the word, this is what the Word of God does. It forces us to make a choice. Will we follow Jesus or are we going to follow our own way? Because what we do when we begin to piece things together, we don't make a reflection of God. We make a reflection of ourselves. We make a reflection of ourselves. It's everything that I've made right in my head. All of a sudden, I become the authority. And God is just ancillary. I'm actually God. When I turn to the Word and go, no, I, I don't want to be half-hearted with Jesus. This is it. And so if there's something in there that I don't agree with, then I guess he's inviting me to wrestle with him. Some of us know that when you wrestle with God, you lose. But it's a good wrestle. He brings understanding. And more importantly, he shows more love. He shows more of who he is. And that's good. I know you think it's not good to wrestle with him, but it's much better to wrestle with him and to just cut it out.
I think in our lives, naming Jesus as our only Savior is the biggest risk we'll take. Naming Him as our Lord and Savior is the biggest risk we'll take because the world will continue to attack, attack you in that belief. We, even though this is really sad, but the church will attack you in that belief, not wanting to, but by putting other things before Jesus. They'll start putting little laws on you. I'm sure you've experienced this. You need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. Not because they're trying to be mean. It's just the way we are. It doesn't mean we have to embrace it. It just means we should recognize it. So that when we start doing that to each other, we can go, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. It's only Jesus that saves. It's not what kind of clothes you wear. It's not how you raise your children. It's not how you, how much you give. Right? Those are some of the rules we make. It's not whether you show up on church on time. That would really, all of you all would be screwed. Um, it's about Jesus. End of story. It's not if you have a really clean mouth and no curses. No, it's not really about that. It's about Jesus. It's not about your background. No, it's about Jesus. Jesus says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Good words. Because guess what? When you're half-hearted people, who's half-hearted? Just raise your hand. When you're half-hearted people, these words from Jesus are sweet. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Those are hard words. They're divisive words. They're words from Jesus that we don't like many times. Because all of a sudden, we've just become exclusive. Jesus is the only way. You can't make another way if you believe in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And perhaps he's asking you to wrestle with that. You can't find comfort in any other way. You can't find family in any other way. You can't find peace in any other way. You can't find healing in any other way. Though we try. But this morning I really felt that the Lord was saying, remind the church that I am the only way. When this happens, when you begin to step into that, it doesn't mean that you don't stop being half-hearted. I mean, we know that. But trust begins to grow. And sometimes we forget that it's not 
Faith and trust in the New Testament is often used by the word pistis. Often, that's a Greek word. Many times, trust is the one that it should be translated as. Trust denotes that there's a relationship. It's not just simply acknowledging that this thing exists, that Jesus exists. It's actually meaning, I want to know you and that I'm submitting and turning my life over to you. That's what trusting is, right? It's trusting that if I trust Tony, I'm okay if Tony makes decisions for me. That's hard, right? So look, look around. Some of you are going to look at your spouse and go, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> but in marriage, that's what we're saying. I trust you. I trust you to make a decision about life for me. When we say we trust in God, we're saying to him, take my heart. My whole heart. Because I trust you. When trust grows, you can jump into a situation like Gideon. You can jump into the situation of wanting to do a soup kitchen and knowing if you are the only one, God can still make it happen. You can jump into sacrificing financially and know that even if 2,000 was taken, and you have to scramble to get 500, you can still do it if God has asked you to do it. Right? This is, no one's going to hire me as a financial consultant. But God tells us his provision is much bigger than our scarcity. When trust grows, you can share your life with Jesus, with those who don't believe. In your workplace, you can share, I believe in Jesus. In your family who says, we don't really believe, or we think you're a crazy Christian, you can say, this is my life, and this is what it looks like. It looks like I pray with you. It looks like when something comes up, I say, let's stop and let's pray. When we have a conversation, you'll hear God's words come in my conversation. And sometimes if I remember what verse and where it is in the Bible, I'll say where it comes from. Or I'll just say, I think Jesus said that. But that's who he's making me to be. Not to be a spokesman of Aaron, but rather a spokesman of God. Trust in Jesus allows you to be scorned, unappreciated, Kicked out, hurt, and still get up each day and go, my approval rests only in him. And he's already said, I love you. And as he said to Gideon before, remember, I see more in you than you can ever see in yourself. So Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good, good father.
our hearts are conflicted. We have heard so many different messages about how we should receive life, how to be good people. And sometimes your message is kind of thrown in it. Sometimes it's secondary. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see it as primary. Let us hear your words, whether we read them in Scripture or prophetically you speak them to us through others or through a dream or however it may occur, that we would listen for your voice, that we would confirm it with the words that you've already revealed to us in Scripture. That we have a practice in our lives that we would go after your word and learn it just so that we can learn more about you. Help us to remember your character. A God who says over and over and over again, I will not abandon you. A God who says over and over and over again, do not fear. A God who says over and over and over again, I deeply love you. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die so that our death would not be the end. To rise again so that we could be assured of life. And to come again so that we would know that all these things that are wrong in this world right now will be made right. And we have a chance, an opportunity right now to listen to you and begin that process of making things right. We won't make them all the way right. We know that, Lord. We know that it won't happen until you come, all, until you come again. But we get to see glimpses when you work through us. Glimpses when we help someone in need. Glimpses when we tell someone about who you are. Glimpses when someone receives Jesus as their Savior for the first time and they rejoice. Help us to make that our life instead of chasing after all the idols that we have put in front of you. Whether it be our career, our children, our money, our home, our car, the Texans or the Huskers or whatever it may be, remind us that you are more important and that in you, when we put you first, all that other stuff can still happen. But instead of pointing to us or to that, we'll point to you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a great life. May we live it for you. In your name we pray. Amen.